Good morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 13. We'll be beginning at verse 10 and moving on to verses 17. Uh, Tim, thanks for such a kind welcome. It's uh, my first time here at North Sub. Heard so many good things about this church, and now I get to see for myself. So uh, what a privilege it is for me to be here, and what a privilege it is for Trinity to partner with churches like North Sub. Uh, we've been in this partnership with the Free Church for 125 years, and uh, I just love the fact that God uses people um, in the congregation to partner with uh, educational institutions like Trinity. At Trinity, our mission is to uh, educate men and women to engage in God's redemptive work in the world. Uh, we do this through worshiping in a faithfulness, mentoring hope and hope, and building bridges in love. That's our mission, and I'm excited about how, how God has already been using that uh, vision in recent months as we've redeployed it. Uh, you know, and I, I know that you might have seen the, the table here uh, for those who are in, in service today. They will notice a Trinity table. Uh, it's not my interest on selling you on Trinity. However, I will say this that I feel that the value proposition of Christian education needs to stay on the table for the church. Uh, some of you here are here today, and you, you don't need to be told about how important a Christian education is, either at the baccalaureate level or at the post-baccalaureate level for theological or seminary training. You're sold, and you could maybe give the elevator speech better than me. Others of you, you say, yeah, I, I kind of believe that, but... I'm not really sure how to articulate for that friend or neighbor who should be considering places like Trinity. And maybe there's others of you, just to be honest, where you're, ju you're just unpersuaded of the value proposition of Christian education or, or seminary training. And, and it's okay. It's okay. So we're, we're friends here. But if you fit in any of those three categories, uh, I, I give you full permission uh, to talk to Taylor Lau or Chris Firestone or Paul Bilek or Tim, Pastor Tim, and say, hey, what's your elevator speech about Christian education, either at the baccalaureate level or the seminary level? It doesn't have to be Trinity, but the church needs to know how uh, important this is for the furtherance of the mission. The passage we're looking at today in Luke chapter 13, it's, it's such an amazing passage for me. And, and, to, and to me, it's so relevant to what's going on today because I feel like one of the challenges brought on by COVID-19 is a challenge of church relevance. And what I mean by that of what does it really mean to, to actually be at church? Since many of us are currently streaming right now, uh, others of us are going to be accessing this on demand, I suppose, and others of us are here, and it's forcing the church to ask questions about what does it mean to be the church? And, you know, we've, we have other pressure points on the church, more and more kids' activities on Sunday. Uh, the cultural denormalization of church on Sunday is putting more and more pressure on churches to ask these kinds of questions. And I believe that actually Luke 13 has something to say about all this. So um, here we go, verse 10. Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself out. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, 
You are freed from your disability. Then he laid hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work is to be done. Come on those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie and uh, his ox or donkey from the manger and lead it away to the water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And he said these things, as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And all the people rejoiced at the glorious things that were done by him. Let's pray. Father, it's good to be in your house. For those online, it's good to be online. Uh, Lord, we just marvel at the grace and wonder of the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is, what he has done for us. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, you would open up eyes to see, ears to hear, use the foolishness even of my uh, weak preaching to do your work among your people. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Stories told of one Sunday morning, a mother goes to wake up uh, her son for church, and as she's getting him ready for church, he just pulls his sheet over the head and says, I'm not going. And she says, okay, well, well, why aren't you going? And he said, well, I stayed up last night just watching Netflix too late. I'm tired. I'm not going. And she said, son, you need to straighten up and get ready for church. And he said, I'm, I'm not going. He said, well, what, why aren't you going? She said, you know, I, the people at church don't like me. and I'm not even sure I like them. I'm not going. And she said, son, you need to straighten up and get yourself ready to go to church. And he said, I'm not going. She said, what, why aren't you going? She said, I, I, I just don't feel like, I don't feel like going. And besides, give me two reasons why I should go to church. And she said, son, because you're 56 years old and you're the pastor, get up and go to church. When we look at this passage of the woman who's bent over and who'd been straightened up by Jesus, we see the result is one of glory and praise to God this all takes place in the house of worship. When we come together, sometimes we're not all exactly clear. Like, why is it that we're here? Is it out of habit? Is it because somebody forces us to come? Is somebody bringing us? Like, what are we really doing here? And I believe that in this passage in Luke, we have some insight into exactly what's going on for God's purposes in the church. And the reason I say this is because it all has to do with God straightening us out. You know, the mother in my, in my illustration said, son, you need to straighten yourself out. Of course, we can't straighten ourselves out. Our sin is too deep, too radically part of who we are. It's only God who can straighten us out. God has straightened us out in Jesus Christ. He has taken that which is bent and made it straight. And for that reason, we must glorify him. Okay, you say, well, you know, how? How does this all work? 
How has God straightened us out? And I want to suggest this morning three ways that are worth thinking about. First of all, God has straightened us out by calling us to himself. By calling us to himself. Start with me at the top of the passage, verse 10. Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. So here's what's going on. Jesus is teaching. And where is he teaching? He's teaching in the synagogue, the official house of worship. And what day is this happening on? It's happening on the Sabbath day, the official day of worship, a day of rest, of restoration, and worship. And there's a woman there, according to verse 11, and she's bent over. And she can't straighten herself out. And we know two things about this woman and her affliction. First of all, we know that it's a severe affliction. The translation I just read to you said that she, she was bent over and could not fully straighten herself out. Another way to translate the Greek is she couldn't stand up at all. So it might not be that she couldn't fully straighten up. It could be that she was like this. And in fact, many readers of, the, of Luke think that's exactly what Luke is saying. She is completely bent over. So it's not only severe affliction, we also know it's a chronic affliction because this has been going on for 18 years. Now, just imagine this. For 18 years, she's walking around like this, bent over. She knows every crack and every sidewalk. She, she knows what the gutters look like. She knows what the sewer grates look like. When you get a new pair of shoes, you're, she's the first one to realize that. But she hasn't seen a sunset in years. She hasn't looked at the stars for years. She's forgotten what all that has looked at, looked like. And she's there, and she meets Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Jesus calls her over. Now, I don't know what that looked like. I don't, did Jesus say, hey, lady, come over here? I don't know. But he calls her over. And think of her options when he calls her. She could have said, oh, that's a weird guy, Jesus. I'm, I think I'll just slip out the back door before I can talk to me. Or, or maybe she would put on her earbuds and kind of like just hope that he goes away. But that's not what she does. She comes and there's an encounter. And because she comes, Jesus heals her. He calls her and he heals her. She responds to the call and she's healed. Now, there's two actions I want to draw your attention to that Jesus performs that are associated with this calling. Let's just call the first one a preliminary action and the second one a concluding action. Here's the preliminary action. Jesus saw her. Jesus saw her. That's exactly what verse 12 says. When Jesus saw her, he called. Jesus sees exactly who she is. Jesus knows all about her experience, knows all about her pain, even knows what it's like in some way, what it means to be stooped over for 18 years. Jesus saw her, and that's why he called her. 
If that's a preliminary action, here's the concluding action, because after he called her, he spoke to her. He spoke to her and said to her, according to verse 12, woman, you are freed from your disability. Jesus hasn't even done anything yet. He hasn't even touched her. And he says, it's been done. You're free. And she's probably wondering, what are you talking about? And Jesus says, you're freed. And isn't that exactly the way it works with us? Jesus saw us in our sin. Jesus saw us stooped down by our anxiety, by our solitude, by our addictions, by all the problems that we have. And we're walking through life like this. And Jesus calls us and we make our way over and he heals us and he strains us up. And the reason that's happened is because we responded to the call that he issued to us. He saw everything about us. He knew our story, and he worked in that story, interrupted that story, and changed the story. And as a result, we have the promise of freedom, which the Bible also calls eternal life. So today, if you're online or you're here, and you, maybe you've been coming for a while or you've been tuning in for a while, and Jesus has been calling you and you've put, been putting on the earbuds or you're slipping out the back door, now is the time to respond to Jesus because your sin has bent you over and you need to be straightened up and you need to be freed from that. And that's what it means to respond to the call of God. Now, there, there's others of you here, maybe a lot of people here who have responded to that call but you find that you're, you're in the house of worship or you're watching online and you know that Sabbath is supposed to be a day of rest and restoration and worship, but honestly, you're just not experiencing it. And the reason is, is because you've become bent over and you've been bent over by your anxieties, by your feelings, maybe by your sin, Fill in the blank. And when you're bent over, you can't worship. And the reason I say that is because part of what's going on in this passage is Jesus knows, every Jew in that synagogue know, knows that when God calls you to worship, it, worship is done from standing posture in Judaism. You stand straight up. We know that from Psalm 132 to 135. It's right there. Worship, and I, you know, even as we were singing that last song, I know people spontaneously standing up. There's something about standing up with worship. And the woman, when she's down here, she can't really worship. And Jesus is giving her the power to worship. And so what happens next? After she straightens up, the first thing she does is what? She worships. She glorifies God. So when God calls us, he calls us to glorify him. So that's the first way that he straightens us out is by calling us to himself. But there's something else that he does. He lays on hands. And Jesus lays on hands in this passage. When Jesus saw her in verse 12, he called her over. He said, woman, you are freed, verse 13. And then he laid hands on her. And immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. Now, this, this word hand in Greek, the word is care, C-H-E-I-R, if you're taking notes, and it can mean your hand from your wrist to your fingertips, or it can mean from your elbow to your fingertips. One word for both body parts. Now, now to me, the way I like to read it is 
got Jesus was putting his forearm on her because I like to maximize my touch with Jesus. And when I think about Jesus putting his hand on me, I want the whole forearm. Just like lean into me, Jesus. So Jesus is doing that. But, you know, a careful reader of this gospel will know, like, you know, Jesus didn't need to touch her, did he? Because we know from a story earlier in the gospel, when a centurion comes along, he says to Jesus, Jesus, you don't even need to be in the room. Just say the word and my servant is healed. And of course, that's true. Jesus doesn't need to touch anybody to heal them. But he wants to touch, them, touch her here. Why is that? I can think of at least two reasons. Uh, first of all, because he wants to transmit power. And I don't know how this works, but there's something about Jesus' touch. When he physically puts his touch on people, there's a power that goes through his arm into that body, and it's a healing power, power that drives out the spirit and brings healing. And again, I don't know how that works. So my physicist friends say there's four powers in the universe. You got electromagnetic power, you have gravitational power, you have weak power, you have strong power. Well, I'm going to add a fifth, and that's a Jesus power. And through this unknown power and this inscrutable power, it just comes through Jesus' body into her. And when Jesus heals you, and heals you physically, and when he heals you emotionally, and when he heals you spiritually, I believe that Jesus is operating in the fifth dimension, and he's transmitting power into your body. And I think that's exactly what's happening here. Uh, but there's something else that's going on, is, is that he's transferring authority. He laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight because of that power, and she glorified God. You see, it was that by transmitting power that she was made straight, but then by transmitting authority, she was tasked with glorifying God. And you say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, think about this. This is not the first time that God has extended his arm, is it? Think back to the story of Exodus when, when Pharaoh is there and Yahweh says, oh, you want to fight? Okay, well, now how about I extend my arm? And I'm, because I extend my arm, I, Yahweh, am going to extend my arm through Moses. And Moses would extend his arm. And because of the extension of Moses' arm, we had the ten plagues. We had the crossing of the Red Sea. Because of the extension of the arm, Israel was saved and redeemed. But wait, that's not all. Because Moses had extended his arm, Aaron was told to hold out his arms as he blessed the people. You see, what happens with the extension of the arm is that there is a conferral of authority. God, God, Yahweh gave the authority to Moses, who gave the authority to Aaron, and that's the way it even works in the book of Acts, because that's not the last time people are extending their arms. Because you see the apostles laying on hands in the book of Acts. That's volume two of the book of Luke. And they're extending their hands for healing and conferring authority and ordaining deacons and sending out missionaries to Asia. And it's all a package, guys. When God heals us, it's not just for our sake. When, we're, when God's transmitting power to us, it also means he's transferring authority to you, to authority to do what? Well, look what the woman does. She glorifies God. Authority to worship. If God has gotten in your life, if God has gotten a hold of you, 
you have been entrusted with the special privilege. It's the privilege of worshiping the triune God. And the problem is we don't take that authority seriously. You know, when the pandemic first broke out, I really resented the fact that I had to watch services online. You know, and just, you know, being there and going, oh, this is terrible. I wish I was there. But then I started getting used to it. You know, I get my cup of coffee and my favorite coffee mug and just get to hold it, you know, and have these big woolly socks, my favorite woolly socks, nice and warm, and my favorite leather couch, and the sun would be coming in through the window, and I'd be watching the sermon, and, and you know, if there's an interruption, I could always pause it and do my own thing and come back, and it's so convenient. And there's part of me that really got, I started really liking that, actually. And I said, you know what, maybe we could, I could just do this forever. I mean, do, well, do I ever need to go back? A little voice inside me said, let's call him the old man, the old man of flesh. And I said to that old man of flesh, in light of this passage, I said, look, God, through Jesus Christ, has, has transferred power into you by healing your broken body of its sin and has transmitted this authority to you to glorify him Take that seriously. Embrace the task of glorifying him. And I understand we're in a situation where not everyone can be here, and, that's, and we need to do what we need to do. By the same token, uh, we're called to this really important task of just giving him the glory. There's a third way that God straightens us out. It's, it's not just through laying on of hands and through calling, but also through loosening the bonds. Because as it turns out, not everyone is super happy about this healing. Verse 14, but the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. So Jesus has just performed this outstanding miracle. But the socially most important person in the room isn't happy about it. You see, if you're the synagogue ruler, you're the top of the heap. You call the shots. And so he's just saying, "Mm -mm 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 -mm. This, this is not how we're doing it. And so he challenges Jesus in three ways. First of all, he challenges Jesus on the timing of the miracle. He's like, Jesus, if you want to do your mirror, okay, all right, all right, but not on the Sabbath. Like, it's just bad timing. And Jesus, when he responds, he actually goes right back to Scripture. I think Jesus is alluding to Isaiah chapter 58, verse 6, which talks about fasting and about the Sabbath, and and where Isaiah says the purpose of fasting, the purpose of the Sabbath is about loosening the bonds 
so that people might be free because the Sabbath day isn't just about rest, but it's also about restoration. And Jesus is saying, you misunderstand the nature of corporate worship, why we're coming together. We're not all here just to be attenders. We have to engage in God's mission. That's, that's why we're huddling here together. It's, it's not a passive process. It's an active process of engagement in this mission of restoration and loosening bonds. So Jesus answers from Scripture. When somebody challenges you, you can't beat answering from Scripture. But implicitly, this is not just a challenge of the timing of the miracle or timing of the healing. It's also a challenge of the person of the healer. Do you see what's going on here in this situation? It's a public setting. Jesus has just done this astounding work. People are saying, that Jesus, he's the guy, this is the coolest guy. And the synagogue ruler is saying, uh-oh, I, I, I got to put a stop to this. I need to take control. And the way he's going to take control is by saying, hey, this is my house. We're playing by my rules. And my rules say, I don't want you doing this on the Sabbath. You see what he's trying to, he's not just trying to control the timing of the healing, he's trying to control Jesus and call the person of Jesus into question. But this synagogue ruler had obviously not been back in Nazareth in, in Luke chapter 4 because in his inaugural sermon at Nazareth, Jesus comes and he quotes from Isaiah 61 where he talks about this day of jubilee, this day of release, and he says, this day is now fulfilled in me. And, and if you know your scriptures and you know your Old Testament, you, you probably know that, that the Sabbath comes once a week, but then uh, every 49 years, there's a super Sabbath. And that super Sabbath was called this day of Jubilee, when all the debts were canceled, slaves were freed, loans just forgiven, everyone goes back home, when Jesus shows up in Luke chapter 4, he's declaring this super Sabbath, this super jubilee. And as he does so, he's calling all his followers to live out that jubilee reality. What's the jubilee reality? It's a reality of release where you see your primary ministry, your primary mission as going around and giving people the power by the, by the power of God to release people from their sins, to release people from their hangups, to re release people from the, the real oppressions that fall on us as human beings, that weigh us down. And Jesus is saying, hey, not only is the timing right, but I'm the right person to be doing this. The synagogue ruler finally challenges one more time, and he's challenging the true need of the healing, of the healer. The true need of the healed one. Sorry. And here's what I mean by that. He sees a woman, and he said, well, she, you know, she didn't really need that. Not at this time. And he's saying, you know, I'm the self-appointed moral expert here. And I'll tell you what's important and what's valuable, Jesus. And that's not important right now. And Jesus says, I'm sorry, but you're wrong. And here's why you're wrong. Because this woman 
is a daughter of Abraham. Now, I understand that North Sub has been going through a series on Abraham, so I want you to think back to Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 15, where God met Abraham and said, this is a promise that your seed would be a blessing to all nations, and all nations would bless themselves by your seed. And by the way, there's a land built, there's a land promise built into all this. Jesus is saying right here in Luke chapter 13, Genesis 12, 15 are being fulfilled because this is one of the seeds of Abraham. She's a daughter. She's in good company with Zacchaeus from Luke chapter 19, who's the son of Abraham. She's also in good company with, with Lazarus, who's sitting in Abraham's bosom in Luke chapter 16. Lots of kids of Abraham in the Gospel of Luke. There's one big Abrahamic family. But why does Jesus call her a daughter of Abraham of all things? Because he's trying to impress upon the synagogue ruler and all the Jewish leaders that she's heir of the land, that she's a princess in the kingdom. As for them, maybe not so much. There's a story that came out about four years ago from Argentina of a woman who just worked most of her life putting her kids through school and as, as uh, she was a maid and just worked long, long hours as this maid. And as she was get, getting from midlife to retirement age, uh, she was told that there was this guy who died back in the 80s who was a baron, who owed, owned lots and lots of land and therefore lots and lots of money. And she was told that although technically he had no children, that it was possible that she was in fact his daughter. And therefore that she would in, fa in fact be entitled, if she was by Argentinian law, to be heir of roughly $40 million. And the DNA technology was such that they were able to establish that true, that she was the heir and she decided to retire from being a maid and took the $40 million. See, she was the daughter of a baron. You know what we're doing when we're engaging in ministry, this ministry of, of loosening people up, is we're introducing these daughters of Abraham to the inheritance waiting for them, these sons of Abraham to the inheritance waiting for them. And that's actually what we're doing at Trinity too. You know, we don't have the power to change people. I don't have the power to straighten people out. Only God does. But you know, for 125 years, God has been using Trinity as his arms, as the power goes through him. And boy, what a privilege that is to be part of that. God wants to use you as his hands and his arms. And what happens here is when the crowd watches the interaction, they say, wow, <laughs> Jesus, the synagogue ruler tried to put Jesus back in the corner. Jesus put them in the corner. And they were put to shame, and others rejoiced. And that's just a quick preview of what's going to happen on the last day. Those who oppose Jesus and his people will be put to shame. Those who are among Jesus' people, they will rejoice because they are sons and daughters of Abraham, the fulfillment of the promise of Genesis chapter 12 and 15. 
So here's, here's why this matters to us, is we live in a time where there's so many voices claiming to be the self-appointed moral authorities for what the church should say, do, believe, and they're not even in the church. And they wanna call the shots. And Jesus just answers from scripture, but he answers by pointing to himself. And you know what, friends? I think that's a great blueprint for us. As we engage with a culture that is increasingly hostile, humbly and gently, we don't say yes sir, yes sir, yes sir. What we do is we engage and we say, I'm sticking with Jesus. And Jesus does not go unopposed and neither will we. Jesus is in, this, is in this business of straightening people out when people see others straighten out to reclaim their posture as sons and daughters of Abraham, they will rejoice and glorify God as well. And that's a promise. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the wonderful calling that you have given us, this calling to be your arms and your hands as you want to bring healing and release on the lives of people right across the street from this church, right next to this church, within the next five miles, 10 miles, and across the world. Lord, equip us for that task. Give us that kingdom vision. Use us for your purposes on this Sabbath day and on every Sabbath day for the rest of this week. We thank you for this wonderful vocation to glorify you. Amen.